0: As we're studying the book of Acts, we're kind of seeing how it all transpired, you know, how it all went down, and so then the church grew up, you know. And we're seeing history. There's a lot here interwoven in our study today. You know, you guys probably think I'm weird because a lot of times when I when I share, just sometimes a rhyme will come out. It's it's because of my background in rapping. That's why. <laughs> You know, uh, um, but it's just, it's just whatever. It's something that it comes naturally. I don't have to think about it. And so when I pray for my family, believe it or not, there's three things I pray. I pray for protection. I pray for direction. And I pray for perfection. And by that last part, perfection, the Bible talks about growing up and becoming mature, you know, and, and so... Protection, direction, perfection. We're going to see that interwoven in our study today. Even though Saul, he's there in Damascus, man, and things don't work out. And then he goes to Jerusalem and things don't work out. And then he goes to to Tarsus. And I'm sure it was difficult for him. Probably things didn't work out maybe the way that he thought. It was all working out. God was doing something in him and through him and in the church. And I pray that that would encourage you. You know, you're there in Tarsus uh, with the non-believers reject you. You go to Jerusalem, the believers reject you. You go to your pad, you go home, your family rejects you. Things don't work out there. And you know, you're, you're finding yourself, you know, hard times. Understand that life's disappointments are His appointments. That That Jesus is driving, that Jesus is the captain, that Jesus is the Lord and lover of your life. And you can trust Him. You don't have to go and complain to all the other Christians. Just go to the Lord and trust Him. And you're going to see he's doing, a, he's doing a really good work, even though times can be tough. You know, Robert Stevenson, he tells of a storm that, that caught a ship off a rocky coast and threatened to drive it and its passengers to destruction. So in the midst of the madness, one man on board, he was a daring man, Contrary to orders, he made his way onto the deck and all the way to the captain's port where he saw him holding onto the wheel unwaveringly and inch by inch turning the ship in the direction it needed to travel. The captain saw the man through the window looking at him and the captain gave him a big smile. And so the daring passenger then made his way back below where all the other Passengers were there trembling and afraid. And he shouted out the good news. He said, I've seen the face of the captain. He's smiling. All is well. And you see, that's the way it is with our life, man. As we are on board, as we're just got our eyes on Jesus, as we know we're Christians with him as our captain. Understand, he's, he's smiling. Because at the end of the day, all really is well we got to see that in our life notice what we read here in Acts 9 in verse 23 remember Saul was converted and then we saw about his commission and so we're picking it up after this amazing salvation and it says in verse 23 now after many days were passed the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. And so there's a lot packed into this section. Hopefully you guys come away with something that, you know, really is appropriate for you and what you're going through in life. You know, I know in verse 23, we read that after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And so the many days uh, we read about here in verse 23 actually add up to three years, three years. According to Galatians chapter one and verse 17 and 18, he says, I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. And so, you know, it's three years, many days. You know, what happened with Saul is when he got saved, he spent three years. And I believe that what he was doing there in Arabia was just spending time in the Word, he was just growing as a Christian. You know, when you become a Christian, you have to get rooted and grounded. And the only way that you're really going to do that is in fellowship with the Lord, man. You and your Bible and the Holy Spirit. You know, some say that maybe he went to Arabia to evangelize, but that was never his pattern. He always would go to a, a city that was populous. So he went to Arabia, spent time with the Lord. He got into his Bible. The Holy Spirit ministered to him. And he just, God prepared him for the work that he was going to do. I know it's kind of cool because all that's part of really the, the message that we're going to see in the life of Saul. Because sometimes people want to race forward and they want to, you know, do everything overnight. No, it takes time. God's going to have to teach you his word and God is going to have to take you through the tears and trials of life. It's not until then that you can really become an effective minister. And so as he's there, he says, in the word, getting rooted and grounded You know, I think that a person, in order to get rooted and grounded, you have to learn the scriptures and and you have to learn God's love. You know, because usually when you talk to people about getting rooted and grounded, they'll tell you about doctrine. And it is true, you guys. Can you picture a tree that has no roots? It's going to fall, right, when the wind blows. You know, and you got some guys, and it's all about emotionalism. And that's why what happens is it's cool, it's exciting in the beginning. But they never get into the Word and that's why eventually they fall away because they're not really taught the Bible. One of the things that's cool about Calvary Chapel, not that we're the way, the truth, and the life, is that we do take God's Word seriously. It's not my Word, it's His Word. I don't want to give you you know, something that I'm shooting from the hip. I have to give you the Word because it's His Word that's alive. It's His Word that's true. And as you learn His Word and as you're reading the Word, then you can visualize the roots are going down and you're going to get stronger because when you get hit one day and you will get hit one day somehow, some way, you're going to stand because you're rooted and grounded in, in the lessons of the scripture. But not only getting rooted and grounded in lessons, I want to encourage you to get rooted and grounded in love. Because that's what the Bible says explicitly in Ephesians 3 verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. And there's something about that. I've always loved that passage there that no matter what, you know, and I have good days and I have bad days. I think I have more bad days than good days, you know, that no matter what, he still loves us. And there's something about that that roots us and grounds us and keeps us. And so, you know, Paul goes to Arabia and I think he's just man spending time in the Word. He's learning the lessons and you can't help but see God's love when you study the Bible. But then he returns to Damascus and he's preaching, you know, and he's effective and the devil doesn't like it one bit. And notice again what we read here in verse 23, that after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And so Saul would experience this for the rest of his life. He would be a wanted man. He was a hated man because he was effective for the cause of Christ. So the enemy knew it, and therefore his enemies always tried to take him out. Here we see it's in Damascus. And according to uh, 2 Corinthians 11:32. What happened was the Jewish religious religious leaders had even affected the governor of Damascus so that the guards were watching him and they were waiting, imagine that, for Saul in the city gates in order to kill him, right? And in one sense, like he was kind of like that close to dying, that close to dying. Um, but what ends up happening is they protect him. But man, this would be something you would experience for the rest of his life. We're going to see later again in verse 29 of this chapter. Lots of plots to kill him. Acts 14, verse 19, Acts 20, verse 3. Uh, Acts 23, verse 12 is interesting. It says that when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And so the devil was always trying to kill Paul. But, like I was talking in the beginning, there was protection, there was direction. There is perfection. And I I think that as long as you... Not perfect, but man, as long as you're trying to follow the Lord, you're going to be okay. You know, you pray for God to protect you and uh, you wear your seatbelt. You pray for God to protect you and uh, you lock the door. You know, you're not foolish. You know, you pray for God to protect you and, and, and then you don't go and run with the neighborhood guys anymore. I mean, there's a, there's a simple aspect of us being obedient and then, and then God protecting us. And we will not die until we're done. That, that's how we have to see the way it works, right? And so as he's going through all this in Damascus, they plotted to kill him. But again, look at verse 24. The plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples, it says in verse 25, took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. You know, and I don't know how you feel about that to me. It sounds kind of fun to be put in a basket over the wall. He now joins the ranks of the Hebrew spies. They went through something similar in Joshua 2 verse 15. Remember, they were let out the wall. Or even David, it says in 1 Samuel 19, 12, that his wife uh, let him down through a window and then he went out and escaped. I mean, it tends to be like when God's servants are being, you know, making a difference. That the enemy tries to get him. And thank God for the protection that we have from God in the direction, and and even the perfection. How what's happening is God here is moving in in the spies and David and, and and Saul. God's doing a work, right? You know, one of the things that's interesting in looking at our text that that it's more than likely true is that the disciples, it says in verse 25, the disciples took him by night and they let him down through the wall in a basket. And and I think that more than likely, Saul was maybe having the mentality, you know, like, hey, I'm just going to preach the gospel. And if I die, I die. I'll bet you that's where he was, willing to die at that point. And it was kind of noble, but... um, It wasn't God's plan for him and thank God for the disciples who got involved and said, no, we're going to stuff you in the basket and we're going to put you over. We're going to protect you because there is still more work for you to do. You know, so I, again, you know, one of the things that we'll see is that we always have to be ready to die, but we shouldn't be eager to die. I don't think so because Paul gave us a healthy perspective in Philippians chapter one. He said, I kind of want to still live because there's still more work to do. I kind of want to still live because I want to serve you. It's needful for you. And so again, our mentality is like, I'm not afraid to die. If God calls me home, praise God, but I'm not going to be a Christian kamikaze. I remember one sister, man, and I, My cousin, my cousin, she got cirrhosis of the liver and she, you know, went to a church and, 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 you know, she's like, well, it's okay. I'm, I'm just going to keep drinking, you know, and, and it's like, no, you're killing yourself. So again, we're ready to die, but we're not eager to die. Why? Because I, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. And so, Paul had that mentality. The disciples, you know, took care of him. And they sent him to Jerusalem. And now, you know, you're going from Damascus. Remember, that's in Gentile territory. That's Samaria. That's, you know, that's, that's foreigners, right? These are non-believers that want to kill him. So, now you go to Jerusalem, and this is the brothers. And so, everything's going to be hunky-dory there, Right? <laughs> Wrong. You know, when Saul comes to Jerusalem, he tries to join the disciples, it says in verse 26, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. You know, in the Greek language, and the Bible was written in Greek for a reason, the Greek language, you can be very, very uh, specific. It's an, an imperfect tense, and that means that he kept on trying to join the disciples. He kept on trying. You know, I don't know if him if he was going to different house churches and they just they would look to the people and you know, wouldn't let him in. I don't know if it was that or if he just kept going into the same one and they just kept kicking him out, you know. We got security here, praise God for that. Sometimes, you know, there's a, it's a good place, but but in this case, God had done a work in Saul, right? And so, he just wanted to go to church, you know, to assemble and associate, to belong and, and bond with the brothers. But they wouldn't let him. They were afraid. You know, understandably, to a certain point, this is the one who had previously persecuted the church, disappeared for a few years, and now he shows up. They kind of didn't know what was going on. They couldn't, they wouldn't trust him. And, and let me just look at this from two angles For us who are living these things nowadays, um, number one is we need to guard ourselves from this. You know, when a new person comes in to the church and let's just say you find out they did time or they got tats or whatever, you know, you find out that, you know, whatever, they're from the hood or uh, they have a, a crime in their past. Would you welcome them? You know, we have to be so careful that we don't ostracize people, that we don't look down on people. You know, uh, they got a history though, and you know, they're a mystery to me. You know, no, we have to welcome these people in. We have to welcome them in, because God can change any life. As a matter of fact, I, I love it. No matter who it is, you know, it's a person that's all clean cut and whatever, you know, squeaky clean. And, and I, you, thank you, Lord, there's someone new or, or someone, you know, you know, man, you see it in, in their face. They've gone through so much all their life. We have to welcome them in. God forbid that there would ever be someone coming to church service, trying to join, trying to associate, trying to assemble, trying to belong, and we wouldn't let them. You know, we have to see this. And again, I'm not saying we make them the pastor next week or put them in children's ministry next month. You know, all I'm saying is that honestly, lovingly, give people a chance. And so, you know, there's one side, but then there's another side to this, I think that's very important for us. It says in verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now, it's interesting, again, the Greek word translated join, it literally means to glue. It means to glue himself to the disciples. And from the other end, moving from the welcome to the visitor, the Bible says that Saul tried to join himself to the disciples. You know, some people, they'll go to church and, you know, there's a, a book out there, it's called Dating the Church, you know, and I'll go to this one one week and that one one week and whatever, you know, I'll kind of come in and there's a kind of a loose association here, but but you can, you know, biblically speaking, you know, it's it's You join the disciples. You glue yourself to the Lord. You know, and that and that can speak in two ways. Number one, you know, your commitment to Christ. You know, are you are you in? Are you committed? You know, are you truly a Christian? I mean, or do you play church? Do you go once in a while? Or you know, you know, when you become a Christian and you find a church, you you become a, a part of the body of christ and once you find the body then you got to understand that the body needs you you know you might be a hand an arm an elbow i don't know what it is that you are but you're part of the body and so you're just going to show up whenever or you think about it no there's a big body of christ and then there's local congregations and i just want to encourage you To don't be one of those who just dates the church. You know, be committed. No perfect church. Don't get me wrong, but that doesn't give you an excuse to take it like that, like I'm paper clipped. No, glue yourself (laughs) to the church. Glue yourself to the Lord. You know, you look at it from both angles. And what what I find is that, you know, when when you go to church service and you're like, well, no one said hi to me. It's okay. You go say hi to them. And if they're mean to you, then come and tell me. (laughs) We're a family here. We're not a perfect family. As a matter of fact, you guys know how it is at home. You know, you see a lot. But we have to be joined to the disciples. That's how churches thrive. You know, for Saul, it was hard in Damascus among the non-believers and it, was now potentially going to be hard in Jerusalem among the believers, right? But thank God for Barnabas. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and they had spoken to him, and he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You know, Saul was having problems with the disciples, and it's cool the way that Barnabas takes him to the apostles. I like the way one translation says it. It says that Barnabas took him under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles and stood up for him. I like that. Even though Barnabas was not an apostle himself, he was not one of the 12, it didn't matter. This guy had so much love. He was highly esteemed by them. As a matter of fact, they, the apostles, were responsible for changing his name from Joseph to Barnabas. Something we read back in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. And the Bible tells us why they changed his name. Because his name, he was a man who was a son of encouragement. He stood out as a man who encouraged others. And this is something that we need today as well. I wish that we were all, you know, Barnabas is here. And I, and I think we can be by the grace of God. You know, to encourage each other. You know, imagine if we all caught that vision. Imagine what God would do in you, in your family, in this ministry, in this community. Imagine what God would do if we all said, you know what, I want to be a Barnabas. What is a, a person who encourages? Three things about it I think that are important. Number one, when you look at the word encouragement, they give someone the support they need. They give someone the support they need. Number two, they give them the confidence they lack. The confidence they lack. And then number three, they give them the hope that they've lost. You know, the Greek word translated encouragement is that Greek word paraklesis. It's familiar to some of you. It's actually a reference to the Holy Spirit. He's uh, an encourager. He's our helper. He's our, you know, our paraklesis. And that's who Barnabas was to Brother Saul. You know, because of God... He said, I'm here to help you. There's action. He says, because of God, I'm here to tell you I believe in you. He said, because of God, I'm here to tell you that there's hope for you. That your life is not over. Your calling is not over. Your cause, your purpose is not come to an end. There is a future for you. And we all, we all need Barnabas is in our life, you know, we should be a Barnabas to people, you know, his name also means comfort and what happens is they go hand in hand and later we're going to see Barnabas again in action with a young man named Mark and he's going to even reach out to Saul again later in Acts chapter 11 and so you just have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he'll show you who to encourage and how to encourage them doesn't mean you enable people to sin, but you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and He shows you exactly how to do these things. You know, here we see in uh, Jerusalem that God uses uh, Barnabas. In Damascus, God used Ananias. Where would the great Paul be without these guys that came into his life? As a result of Barnabas intervening, we read there in verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem. He was coming in and, and going out. In other words, he was accepted finally and he was free to fellowship. But, but here's the thing, you know, this guy, he, he kind of stood out. He was special. He wasn't just another guy, man. He had a heart and eyes to evangelize and he wasn't at all interested in just the status quo, I mean, he's one of those Christians and every once in a while you come across them, man, that it's not enough for them just to go on Sundays and, and, you know, go and you live your life and, you know, you know whatever. You got the white picket fence and the house and, and, you know, stuff like that. It's like there's a calling on his life. Like a Billy Graham. Like a Chuck Smith. You know, like a Raul Reese, Like, you know, these guys. And there was a fire inside of him that was burning that could not be contained. And, you know, I, of course I pray that would happen to all of us, but man, sometimes God gets a hold of a man and, and he just stands out and you can't, you just he's too hot to handle. And that was Saul, right? And so as he's there sharing, you know, coming in, going out, he speaks boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and they disputed Against the Hellenists, those are the Greek-speaking Jews, and again, they want to kill him. Why does everybody want to kill him? Does anybody want to kill you? (laughs) Maybe that would be a good thing, huh? (laughs) He's not like everybody else, right? He's uh, caring, I think, and courageous. He's going to ruffle some feathers. He has an urgency about eternity. You know, and I've told you guys this story before, but remember, again, this is an illustration of how it works, how the devil was meeting with his demons. And uh, they're having, a, you know, a dialogue on how they can make, you know, man fall and maybe hurt the church and kill the church and weaken the church and slow down the church. And, and so the, one of the demons says, I know what I'll do is I'll go down there and I'll tell them that that's not your word, that that Bible is not your word. And the devil says, okay, well, you can go down and tell them that that's not my word. And you'll do damage. You'll, you'll make an impact. But eventually, they're going to know that's the word. They they know. He says, but go and do your thing. The second demon comes to him and says, I know what I'll do is I'll go down and tell them there's no God. And so the devil says, okay, uh, you can go and, you know, you can create this movement of atheists but eternity is in their hearts and the glory of God is revealed in creation and conscience. Eventually, you know, for the most part, people know there's a God. They know there's a maker. They know there's a creator. They know that we're not here by accident. But you can go down and you'll, you'll weaken the church. You'll do your damage. But then the third demon says, I have an idea. I'll go down there and I'll tell them there's no urgency. And the devil says, you know what? You're my man. That's how we will defeat the church. Because the church has the power of God. They have the light of the world over the darkness to break every single chain. And the only reason they don't is because there is no urgency within their hearts. They're so caught up In the world. This guy saw. He had this urgency. And I think part of the reason is because he knew. He was in touch with the fact. That he was a sinner. So bad on this slippery slope. Without hope to hell. He was in tune with that. And how God had just intervened and split through and came into time and saved him. We have to go back to where we came from. This is what happens to him. He's anointed, he's appointed, he's bold, he's biblical. Such a great combination and what a difference he made. How one man stood out, a man with a mission's. And there are many theologians who believe that if it weren't for the ministry through Paul the Apostle, that Christianity would have ended up as more or less an offshoot or a sect of Judaism. You know, and I think that God would have just raised up someone else. But I do believe that that's the difference that he made through his cooperation. Paul had a passion and everywhere he went, he took the gospel. And here he is debating with the Hellenists and there's no way they're going to win a debate against him. So what do you do when you can't beat them? You're supposed to join them, huh? <laughs> they, kill, they want to kill him. That's what they do. And so we've seen it again that they want to take him down. And when, verse 30, the brothers found out, they brought him to Sassariah and they sent him out to Tarsus. And again, what do we see? Protection. Direction. And perfection. God's working in all this, right? Again, I I believe that Saul was willing to die to lay down his life. But it appears from the Bible that the brethren got involved. And again, they brought him down to Caesarea, 60 miles away. And then they brought him a ticket one way to Tarsus. They said to him, in essence, go home. Because that's where he was born, right? That's where he's from. Acts 9, verse 11. Acts 21, verse 39. Acts 22, verse 3 tells us that that's where he was from. And so they sent him home. And I'm not sure how he felt about this. You know, I I wonder if he was like on board, you know, all the way. You know, maybe he's fighting the whole time. No, I want to stay. I mean, this is Jerusalem, You know, I mean, this is Jerusalem. I mean, this is where all the action was. This is where he belonged. He had a heart for the Jews. And now you're kicking me out of Jerusalem and you're telling me to go home. I mean, I don't know really what was going through his mind, but I'll bet you that he was struggling. I'll bet you there was a potential reason for, you know, depression and digression. I talked to a lot of people. And for those of us here who are pastors and leaders, we talk to a lot of people who, who guess, I guess you could say they make excuses. Well, say, well, this happened to me and this happened to me and they failed me and I didn't understand that and I stumbled over this. And, and okay, we're compassionate, we hear what you're saying. But sometimes the best place to be is that place where they say that you don't realize Jesus is all you need. Until he's all you have. I'm okay with that. The non-believers don't want me. The believers are struggling with me. Now, you know, this is happening in in, all places, Jerusalem. And he could have gone home. And he could have sulked. And he could have died. Died that way. But he didn't. You know what he did? He kept his eyes on the Lord. And I believe, and I think the book of Acts and other scriptures back it up, that when he went home, man, he didn't, you know, have a pity party. When he went home, he evangelized. When he went home, he started churches. It's interesting when you read Galatians 1, verse 21, afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia would be where Tarsus is. In verse 23, it says, They were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us, Preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. You know, I mean, I, I was reminded of that guy that was healed in Mark chapter 5. Remember, Jesus cast out the demon from him. Imagine that. And So the, the guy just says, hey, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no. He said, go home. Go home and tell your family what great things the Lord has done for you. And he did just that. He went home and he told them the great things that Jesus had done for him. And as a matter of fact, when you look at where he went, uh, it was through the Decapolis. There's that 10 cities. He actually was a forerunner to the ministry of Jesus. And so, you know, I want to encourage you guys, man. You know, have a heart to follow the Lord. You know, have that sincerity there. And, and, and remember, as you're going through all those different things, that, that life's disappointments... Are his appointments? God's working. You know, Warren Worsby said, When the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. Remember, I always tell you guys, a stumbling stone can actually be a stepping stone. You know, most of you know this wouldn't be the end of Saul. He would later become Paul and he would then go on. Do you guys know this? And man, one of the greatest evangelists in the world, right? I, I believe, Apostle writing 13, maybe 14 books of the Bible. We actually have a map here that kind of tells you the journeys of Paul. And uh, let's see here. Those are his uh, missionary journeys. I don't know if we have the other map. But anyways, um, Paul, when he went down to uh, Jerusalem, he goes up to uh, Caesarea. Then he goes all the way up to Syria. And then eventually you're going to see him go to Antioch. He comes down to Jerusalem to give them a contribution for the poor. He goes back to Antioch. And then eventually he begins his missionary journeys. And, you know, wanting to stay in Jerusalem, wanting to stay in Jerusalem. But little did he know that eventually Antioch would replace Jerusalem as the church that would become a launching pad for the gospel. And so you may think, Oh, Lord, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Understand that God has a plan for your life. You know, one of the things about the Lord is just that He knows what's best for everyone involved. And not only would it be good for Saul, it would be good for the saints in Jerusalem, which is what we see in our last verse for today. It says in verse 31, And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And there's a a lot here. We could probably do another hour if you guys are open. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Um, there's a lot here in this verse right here. You know, the churches uh, uh, and then what happens, it reminds me of the outline in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. Judea, Samaria eventually is going to go to the ends of the earth, right? But notice again right here, the churches throughout all, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, this is just the, her- the church as a whole, they, they had peace and were edified and and walking in the fear of the Lord the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And so, I mean, there's different ways to look at this, but I do encourage you to go in and just you know meditate on these things. The the wealth that they had, you know, peace with God brings, you know, the peace of God, right? You know, the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they're 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 edified. You know, enjoy your wealth. Okay, but but then, you know, don't just sit back like a couch potato. We'll call you a pew potato. Don't do that. Okay, get up and walk. That's what they did. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, as you're as you're you're enjoying your wealth, get up and walk. Because when you do, God will work. And it says right here, the disciples were multiplied. And that is what we want, isn't it? Isn't that what you want? How many of you here have loved ones that need to be saved? I mean, don't, don't, don't we care? I mean, we got people that are homeless You know, we see people all the time struggling with mental issues. And I'll tell you what, they're not too far. They're not too far from God. This is what we want. We want, in one sense, I outlined it like this. There has to be an appropriation. And that is, you take in the wealth, you take in the peace, you take in the way that God builds you up. Appropriation. But then there needs to be a cooperation cooperation in that you do your part, man. You get up, you read, you pray, you seek the Lord. You keep coming to church. Don't just come when it's easy. And then that's the first thing on the list on Sundays. And then maybe even add a Tuesday or a Wednesday in there or Thursday or something. But, you know, you, you appropriate. There's appropriation and there's a cooperation. And then what ends up happening is there is the, the salvation. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we want the most. Lord, I want you to, to give life to my family. I want you to give life to my my spouse, my kids, my grandchildren, you know, the, the guys on the streets and the valleys and alleys and highways and byways. God, begin to do a new work and save people like never before. You know, I may just as we close today, you know, I know most of you here are Christians probably are a couple of you? I'm still trying to decide. I'm <laughs> just joking, but but maybe you're here today and uh, and you need to come to the Lord. You know, I, I pray that today, you know, would be that day. Uh, how many of you here got a chance to see the the memorial service for for Reverend Billy Graham? He's probably the only man I would ever call Reverend, even though he wouldn't want it. They say that when he would talk to him, he would just say, Call me Billy. Call me Billy. Can't be my friend unless you call me Billy. Maybe in heaven, I'm not sure, but until then, I'm going to call him the Reverend Billy Graham because of what God has done in his life. But, you know, it's interesting listening to the, the different people speak, but, but one of them that kind of stood out to me, man, was one of his daughters. And, uh, and she was sharing how you know, she had gone through a, a, an awful marriage, uh, 21 years of marriage, and then her husband uh, was unfaithful to her, so she divorced him. But then what ended up happening is she, she floundered in her faith, and she ended up in a relationship with a guy that wasn't right. And, you know, she started she saying dating this guy, you know, fast and furious, and what ended up happening was uh, you know, her parents, everybody's saying, red flags, kids, don't do it. This is guy, this guy's not right, you're going too fast. And you know, mom calls from Seattle and dad calls from Tokyo, and the kids are saying, Don't do it. But she just goes forward in her in her sinful, willful condition, and she even gets married to this guy. But the very next day, the red flags were already there. I guess it's you know, everything changed, and I don't know what happened you know, in the next, you know, five weeks. But obviously something enough to rock her marriage to such an extent that she had to leave. And she has only one place to go, you know, to go to mom and dad. She knew she had to go home to them. But, but she didn't know what they would say. She didn't know, you know, well, we told you so. And, you know, you know, just that would probably be the typical response of, of most parents. But she said that as she started... To head home, it was a two-day drive. Those thoughts are rolling through her mind. What's going to happen when I go home? And she said that when she arrived there, going up the driveway around the mountain bend, she saw there in the driveway her daddy, Billy Graham, standing there waiting for her. And when she got out of the car, she said, all he did was wrap me in his arms and say, welcome home. And she said, you know, my daddy wasn't God, but that day he showed me how God was, how God is. And for me, just in closing today, just in case there's anyone here who's thinking about, you know, getting back with God or getting right with God or. Or going home to God and you're wondering, well, I don't know if he'll accept me because I've done, you know, these crazy things. I just want you to know that that right there is a picture of Luke 15. That's a perfect picture of how God is. You come, you let go of that sin and you go to God and he'll wrap you in his arms and he'll say, Welcome.